Well, guys, it's time we do this again. Uh, how the hell have you been this week? Well, Better I was most. fine until we watched this movie, and then my week just went straight to shit. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yep, so we're back again. It's the Blood Psychic Geeks Podcast, episode four. This week, we are watching Candyman 3, Day of Yay. the Dead. And boy, what what a movie this one was, guys. So, uh, before we get into the actual rest of the show and, and talk more on Candyman 3, which everyone's super excited about, uh, let's go around the room and and talk about what we've been watching uh, this past week. Uh, first up, Robert, what have you been watching? Um, I didn't get to watch too many things uh, with the new job, working a lot of hours and baseball and hockey starting back up, but uh, I did... Um, I watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, uh, on VHS, actually. Um, it's been a long time since I've watched that on VHS. But, yeah, I hadn't uh, hadn't watched that one in a while. I've, uh, for my birthday, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had went up to Dallas Vintage Toys, and I found a 18-inch uh, Jason Voorhees from the final chapter. And then, like a few days later, found it on VHS at the horror shop that I go to here in DFW called Horror Freak. And so, uh, decided to pop it in uh, Sunday afternoon when we got back uh, back into town. Um, and um, I'm sure all of you have seen Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the one with Corey Feldman, where he's like the little, I guess, special effects like guy or whatever. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know. It's actually, I, I'd say that one and probably part three are my favorite ones of the, of the series. Like just after to me after part four, they kind of, uh, I mean, they get a little, well, five except is for new nightmare. Yeah, well, well, five is not even him, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not even Jason or whatever, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Part four, part four. I really like, I just enjoy like the actual, the, I guess the, the actual look of Jason and three and four, cause they're both pretty much the same. And then with part four, they brought back Tom Savini because it was originally like uh supposed to be the last one, the final chapter. So Savini wanted to come back and like, you know, he wanted to be the one to kill Jason or whatever, but we all know that didn't happen. There was, I don't know, six, seven more, eight more, whatever it is. I don't even know, but yeah, I watched part four last Sunday and I mean, like I said, it's one it's one of the ones I uh, actually enjoy, and the weird little Corey Feldman with the shaved head at the end still creeps me out, though. That was his Britney moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome, uh, Cody. So this week I watched a I watched a little a local film, an indie film. It's called A Mind of Its Own, and it's about a guy with a talking penis. <laughs> and I have been telling people about this movie for a decade of my life because we filmed it in 2009. But what happened is it kind of got like, I don't know, developmental hell and we it was finished and everything. But let me, let me just go into it. So meet Johnny. He's your typical white blood, like conservative American going to college, just trying to live his life. Meanwhile, the radical Republicans at college are like, join our group, Johnny. And he's just like, nah. And then one day he discovers that he has a talking penis. We don't actually ever see the, his, his actual penis because the voice is in his head. Also, the voice is Johnny Brennan. If anyone here is familiar, you know Mort Goldberg or Mort Goldman or whatever from, from Family Guy, the pharmacist. And you also know the fucking jerky boys. Yeah, Frank Rizzo. That's the voice of the penis in this movie. So anyway, I don't know why it took 11 years to come out, but it did. It's on Amazon right now for like two ninety nine. I swear. 
this movie is just about making fun of yourself and laughing at shit. And it's like so wild how everything lines up with what's happening in life right now. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but either way, it's a hoot. It's a holler. It's like, it's a, it's almost a fart in your face comedy. So mind of its own. So this, this particular penis, it has a great talent. He's a great karaoke singer. So we have several scenes within the movie where he sings these songs. But here's the great part is the songs aren't like your typical normal, like top 40 songs. They were all written by one artist that used to do like music for like Laguna Beach and the Hills. So he's all just like, better with you. And it's just like these really poppy singer songwriter songs, right? And then there's a whole dance number and he's trying to get the girl. And there's like this whole, uh, you would, anyway. I promise the climax of the movie will make you laugh. I can't, I can't uh, imagine what the climax of the movie like, about a talking penis would be. <laughs> <laughs> it, invo- it involves a Ferrari, a drildo, that's a dildo on the end of a sawzaw, and, uh, and just everyone getting learning, learning things about themselves. <laughs> There's a real coming-of-age story to be told, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Head of the class. <laughs> we are classy. Oh, all right. Um, Corey, what have you been watching? Too much shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, like y'all know, I watch uh, way too many movies each week. Uh, a couple of my favorite ones. I watched the, uh, Linda Blair, um, female revenge movie, Savage Streets. Uh, she plays this like badass eighties gang leader, and her uh, sister, who's deaf, gets raped and brutalized by this male gang. So, of course, she has to, you know, go take revenge. And she does so with a crossbow. And uh, it's just ridiculous, but it's fucking a lot of fun. Linnea Quigley's in it. I uh, love her. So I would check that out. I also saw the movie uh, Host on Shudder, the one that was made uh, using Zoom uh, during the quarantine. And uh, I think you said you were going to watch it, but I really enjoyed it. it had a bunch of really good scares. Um, and it's just interesting to see how they did it with uh, the limited resources they did since they all, all the actors were responsible for, you know, lighting their own scenes, doing their own special effects. And the director was always there remotely. So no in-person interaction. And I thought it turned out really well. We did um, watch that Corey. And I, I agree with you. I, I thought it was a very, um, inventive film, you know, you're basically work with the, you know, like within your constraints. And that was a perfect example of, of doing that. And in, in this kind of weird time that we're in, but they made a horror movie and I thought it was really cool. Uh, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. No, I thought it was really good too. And, uh, so those are two things I liked. And then, um, I watched Tusk, which I've written about, <laughs> so I'm not going to talk anything more about that because that was, and then I watched a movie called Beyond the Door. It's an Italian flick that's just such a ripoff of The Exorcist down to the green pea soup puke. I mean, the, mm-hmm. one of the children is literally eating green pea soup all the time. Even has a poster of a Campbell's can of green pea soup on his door. The mother's head turns around. There's levitation. Just a straight up ripoff, but uh, it's still really fucking fun. Some glowing green eyes and... Uh, yeah, so there's been some ups and downs this week. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I've been posting the week's like horror releases on the web, on our website, bloodsuckygeeks.com. And yep. uh, last week when I posted I think this was the, the actual first post I've ever done of this. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun because it basically helps me figure out like what's coming up 
you know, on streaming and what's going to be coming up in the theaters and everything else. So as I'm writing it, I'm also learning like some of the new stuff coming out. So I think that's pretty neat. But one of the ones I noticed, uh, and I hadn't heard about it before, it's called We Summon the Darkness. And it just came out to, it came on Netflix on the 8th of August, so about a week ago now. Uh, Have you guys seen this or heard about this? I've heard about that's the one with Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I, I couldn't wait to tell you guys about that. So it stars um, uh, Alexandra Daddario, and she's basically it's uh, her and two of her friends, and they're they're going out. I, I think it's it's set in like the maybe the late '80s or something, and they're just basically going out to all these like um, uh, death metal bands and things like that. And uh, it's out like set in the Midwest, uh, and all over the radio as they're driving to the next show, they overhear all this talk about this uh, satanic cult that's going out, like, you know, committing all these murders all over the United States. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's, it kind of sets a cool uh, like scene right there. And at the, uh, at the concert, they end up meeting some guys. that seemed kind of cool to them, I guess. Uh, one of the dudes is uh, the love interest in um, Alita battle angel, which this is the first time I've seen him on anything. And I think his name's a, uh, Kyle Te- Tequila, Tequila, or something like that. Uh, so that was kind of neat to see him. But it, I, overall, I thought it was just a, f- a fun movie. There was some some kind of some uh, cool twists and turns to it, and uh, it's awesome to see Johnny Knoxville, you know, working in a movie. So I do got to say, have no idea where he disappeared to. Yeah, man, he's looking old. I'll tell you that. Like he <laughs> he, he could have used the Pee Wee Herman treatment in this movie, if you know what I mean. He was great in the last stand. He was so good in the last stand. Man, that Arnold movie about with the border town, <laughs> like Johnny Knoxville, he had the machine guns. He had a he had a howitzer. Yeah. He's like this wild nut who like wears a. a oh, probably, I mean, my a, wife a told me about helmet. that He's movie. All, like, yes, border town. And there's this Trans Am with like this with this like fugitive. He's like, I'm going to the border, and Arnold's just like, the hell you are. And, uh, <laughs> it, it gets, what? It's fucking great. Like, dude. Okay, so you know the guy from Fargo who's like chopping up a dude's leg, and he's in so many movies as the bad guy. He's got a big round face, always playing Peter Russians. Peter Stormare. Well, he plays a Texan <laughs> in this. Yes, thank you, Peter Stormare. So whenever he plays a Texan in this, and his accent is just going, it's just bouncing all all around Texas from the Panhandle <laughs> to the West to the East to Austin <laughs> to the Rio you know, Grande. Yeah, dude, all the way to the Rio Grande. <laughs> but yeah, Johnny Knoxville, last stand, check it out. Oh, all right. Um... So now I think it's time to transition back over to Candyman, guys. Um, let's talk about the first two films, and, and, and I think that'll help set us up uh, to go into this uh, shit show that's uh, movie three in this trilogy of fine films. Uh, the first one, let's talk about that one first, and then we can kind of go into the, 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 um, the second one. What were your guys' thoughts on, on this movie? When, when did you first watch it, that sort of thing? Uh, Corey, can you start us off here? Yeah, so uh, this is honestly the only one I had ever seen. I had never seen uh, Farewell to the Flesh or uh, Day of the Dead, which I wish I had kept that streak alive. Um, I haven't seen the original one since probably like when it originally came out, because I remember, I guess we would have been like fourth, fifth grade or so. And, you know, that's just right in the sweet spot for a movie like this for like, you know, sleepovers and shit. Oh yeah! Just when parents aren't home for, and you just when you almost kill Corey Nessel at a sleepover, right, Robert? Yeah. Uh, How's that go? The fifth. (laughs) You already told us the story (laughs) on the podcast on air. (laughs) (laughs) 
If I disappear uh, now, you guys know why. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, I think like uh, most of y'all, uh, I remember seeing it when it, right around the time it came out. I probably saw it. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters. So uh, once it came out on video and yeah, just I remember it being a part of uh, – just kind of growing up, that's one of those things. I like we knew about Bloody Mary and shit, but I think Candyman was the one that really like scared the fuck out of me. And uh, you just, I never fucking did it because uh, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, no. And so rewatching it, I it forgot it, we were all talking together while each of us watched it again. How great of a fucking movie is from like the score, the cinematography, the story. I mean, Clive Barker. I forgot that he was the one responsible for this. So, I mean, yeah. uh, if you're a fan of Hellraiser, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was I based mean, on a like, book that he wrote or something? Short story. Yeah. Short story. Uh, yeah, it was based uh, in Liverpool, just kind of examining the class differences there. But when Bernard Rose, like, saw Chicago, he thought he could translate it to being about racial relations and uh, kind of socioeconomic disparities that way. So he moved it over to Chicago from Liverpool. But, yeah. It's a fucking great movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, I definitely re- recommend checking it out again because um, it's just fantastic. So speaking of Bloody Mary, Chris actually introduced me to Candyman, and I don't think we actually finished it because it was like too scary, basically. But then we did Bloody Mary at his house, and we had just psyched ourselves up to the point where we were just freaking each other out. And, dude, I swear that night, I woke up in the middle of the night, TV was flashing on and off, carpet was moving, shit was happening, bro. Like that movie, seriously, Candyman is so powerful. This is how powerful Candyman is. I watched terrible, dookie ass, baby diaper Candyman 3, and I go to bed. <laughs> that night, in the middle of the night, I wake up to take a piss. And I'm taking a piss, and I'm like, man, that movie was shit. And then I realize the real Candyman is going to come get me for knocking him. You know, like, it scared me. Oh. It got me, dude. And I, I could not go back to bed for like an hour. I was like, are you fucking shitting me? I'm shook. You doubted me. I'm shook because of exactly. Join me. And well, Tony Todd even produced Candyman 3. So he has, you know, a stake in it. <laughs> He's got some blood on his hands here, too. nature to the, to the tone of Candyman 3 because of the, the way that it's, like, filmed in these bubbles and on basically all in a, on studio locations and it, it's so sterile that it, it gets inside you and you and you start to doubt it and then it it, it, it fucking it, it kicks back it bites back okay. yeah the, fir- the, the first one <laughs> I will say I, I, I rewatched all of these movies this past week and I was really impressed with how well the first one holds up I thought I thought it was very excellent uh, the the young actress uh, her name's Vanessa Williams. Uh, she was the, the the black mother in this movie. Uh, I thought she was awesome in it. Just like some, she she had some very good like emotions, like especially yeah. that scene at the end with the bonfire that she's like looking at. Uh, I forget the main character's name, but she's Ellen. looking at her and and just like the piercing eyes that she has. Like I thought that scene was awesome. Um, the cinematography in this is this movie I thought was really, really cool. And it almost feels like a Kubrick film in a way. Like I like the, the one overhead shot that you get where they're almost like in some sort of like, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like, like an amphitheater. Yeah. Like an amphitheater, but it slowly spins uh, as it's coming, you know, closer and closer, uh, you know, into frame. And I thought that that was just a really cool shot. There's the other one where, uh, she first kind of goes through the mirror mm. and the and and she goes through the hole and to her she's just thinking she's walking you know 
through this wall and into this other room, but then you see the shot from the other side, and it's actually Candyman's mouth, and the jagged bricks are his teeth and everything on the other end, and it's just a very haunting scene. Like, I, I thought that was so cool. Um, and then you get to the second movie, and it just kind of... Uh, I think they did try to do a little bit in the second one, but it just it just didn't reach. I think the the level of of like greatness. I think that the first one did um, and in terms of just the, the some of the shots and stuff. It's surprising because Bill Condon, the guy that directed uh, the second one, went on to win like Academy Awards for uh, writing Gods and Monsters, and he made a couple of the Twilight movies. So I mean, he's had some fucking success. Wow! But uh, yeah, he got started, I guess, on. Candyman 2. Nice. Um, Robert, I know the Candyman like, films are, are a big deal to you, um, and you have some like stories to tell about it. So like, why don't you bring us into this and, and tell us like what these movies kind of mean to you and um, that sort of thing. Well, the, the original one, the first one, I actually saw in 92 when it came out, not in theaters, but I remember renting it. And, uh, this was, it was either at videos or McLeod's and, um, I would watch during the summer, I would watch stuff by myself while my mom was off running errands, blah, 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 whatever. She would just let me rent whatever I wanted. And this was one of those movies. And yeah, it, it, you know, 10 years old scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and I, like, imagine. I, re- I remember going to visit my, uh, my grandmother on my dad's side that weekend and, uh, my other cousin uh, Justin had come over too. And like, you know, we're just, um, you know, my, my grandmother, uh, she lived in a trailer park in, uh, Joshua. And, uh, it was like, we would always like bring our bikes over there. Cause there was like, it was like a dirt road. The whole thing into it was a dirt road. So we, my cousin would go ride bikes or whatever around and we would ride into this wooded area. And I started telling him about Candyman, the movie I just watched. And it freaked him out, just me telling him about it. And I, rem- I don't, I can't recall. I'm, I'm actually now that I'm, you know, telling the story, I'm going to message him and see if he ever watched that movie. You know, obviously this conversation was really, really old, but I don't know if he remembers it. But like, I vividly remember telling him about this movie and how much it scared me and stuff. And like, you know, and these, you know, these movies that we've been doing, a lot of them, like, you know, you know, you guys know, like I, um, have a lot of horror tattoos and I get, I got tattoos of, you know, a lot of the ones I have are ones from movies that really fucked me up. You know, ones that like either I really, really enjoyed or ones that really scared me. And Candyman is one of those ones that really scared me. And the, I think it would have been the second time I met Tony Todd. I, when I had the tattoo and I showed it to him and I was like, I got this tattoo because you fucked me up when I was 10 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like he he just laughed and like thanked me and then you know like got my you know my poster signed or whatever and like got a picture with him and stuff and but like yeah he was he was super cool but yeah that's like one of the reasons why I get like some of the tattoos that I have is like movies that really scared me when I was a kid and now like you know I have you know like this you know small collection of stuff you know like a I have a little Candyman display in my room and stuff now and uh this the second and third ones like don't mean as much to me as the first one does because I, I mean, I guess what the second one came out in 95 and then this third one came out in 99 
And I don't have any memory of watching them at the time they came out. Like, you know, there's nothing that, you know, stuck out to me on those, those movies, you know, but the, the first one. Yeah. And, and I still, and I, and I'm dead serious when I say this, I think the first one is one of the most underrated horror movies of all time. It just came out in like a, sh- a shitty time for horror, I guess, where like, it wasn't big, you know, it wasn't making a lot of money in the box office. You know, the eighties were huge. And then like Candyman came in that gap before scream came out, you know, in 96 and everything got, you know, stuff started blowing up again. But I think Candyman gets overlooked because it was just in that time period where, you know, horror just wasn't a thing in Hollywood. It's so weird how it seems like it's cyclical like that, though. It seems like horror goes out for a little bit uh, and, and, you know, no one's making horror movies until just one movie comes out and reignites the the genre again. And then everyone's doing it and it's back. It's just it's one of those mainstays, but it it does seem to have its dips for sure. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Who fucked up more childhoods, Tony Todd or Michael Jackson? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God. <sighs> Tony Todd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know it. That I voice, mean, like, that voice. quantity yeah. versus quality. Like, I think quantity, Tony Todd's got it, but, like, like seriously fucked him up where they're probably, like, you know, in therapy or, you know, like other horrible shit, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I don't I, think Tony Todd's molested anyone. I, I will say about Tony Todd, like, he is he is good in every one of these movies. These scripts aren't yeah. great for two and three, and, like, just the look of the movies, or at least the look of part three was fucking terrible, but Tony Todd is fucking great in all three of them. Like, he is, like, he, that dude is Candyman. Like, I believe well, that is- dude is Candyman. He's done so many like genre films. That's what people associate him with. But he is like a serious, accomplished actor, like on stage and shit like that. I mean, he is like a very professional, like accomplished actor, not just some dude that does horror movies. So having someone with his talent be able to, you know, provide that for a role like this, I think is one of the main reasons why it's become such an iconic role. And that fucking voice, man. His mm-hmm. his With voice the reverb did, on it all the time. Oh my god! That's, well, that's what kind of made me upset about the because I thought the first one was so good, but I, I love the the backstory and kind of the lore that they set up with uh, uh, his character. Yeah, and then with Candyman two. So, uh, Robert, can you kind of give the the listeners a, a, a brief, you know, like synopsis of, of the first movie and and kind of talk about it? That way we could set up some form of, uh, you know, basis for the, for the next few films. Right. Okay. So like he was, he was a slave, I guess that had been, I guess, turned not a slave and he was doing, uh, isn't that, isn't that what it was? Right. And he was, he was the son it, of it, a slave. It's, he was a son of a slave. So he was, he was an artist, but he fell in love with, uh, with the white guy's daughter or whatever that he was painting and got her pregnant that wasn't allowed so they ended up you know cutting off his hand and putting honey all over his body until bees came and stung him to death and um i guess by by the second i think it was the second one that said that they they captured his soul in the mirror yeah that's why he can come out right that's that's why he can come out after you say Candyman five times but um yeah, it, it's 
it, it, there's I, I just watched all three of them consecutively so i'm sorry if i get like i think i'm already getting stories mixed up mm-hmm. because they, i don't think they establish like yeah. how he got his name until episode to the third movie right well yeah well no that's the, the second movie yeah well okay in the second one they show how he becomes Candyman, right like they yes. are doing flashbacks and they show the you know that they cut his hand off and the kid like takes the honey and is like oh candy man you know or whatever and <laughs> All that shit. My, then, those people are so mean too. And then there's this yeah. other little like old lady. She's like, yeah, candy man. <laughs> yeah. And, but like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bone chilling. <laughs> so, but, but in the well, second you- one, it shows that, but and then the third one, it keeps showing a flashback and it looks like he's crucified or something. Yeah, so in the second one, it's like daytime. He's leaning up against like yeah. a log. Yeah, like the a tree. Stump, one, yeah. It's nighttime, and like you said, he's like on a cross or something. So there's like, eh, we like the way we did it better. Ba- basically, yeah. And it uh, almost looks like yeah, another thing pretty fucks up. That well, that uh, yeah, well in three, and it almost looks like as in the third one when it keeps showing the flashbacks of him crucified, it looks like he's almost not maybe enjoying it, but he knows what he's going to become or something. He has like that. He has like he's an evil like, yeah, grin on his face at one time. Yeah. He's definitely like it. He's, he's drinking it all in like, Oh, you don't even yeah. know what I'm going to do with all this. Hate. Yeah. I couldn't let out my rage and, and, uh, while I was living, but in my death, I'm a fuck all y'all up basically. That thing. And so then he, but okay. So he basically is now coming back and trying to find the, like his lost so, love, like what you know, like what? so. Like in the first one, they kind of just give a general. This is what happened to this guy. Now he comes back and fucks you up. The second one, they established that the uh, protagonist, uh, she is his great granddaughter, and there's yeah. this whole history because she grew up in the house that he was born in. And then the third one, it's his great great granddaughter. So it becomes more of a family type story instead of just a random uh, urban legend. Yeah. Like the first one. They yeah. The first one is. To... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying the first one is kind of a standalone from the others because outside of just it being said in Chicago, Vice, uh, New Orleans, or Los Angeles, it's there's no family ties. Candyman is an urban legend based on this one story. Right. And two and three actually tie it back into his family. Yeah. And his motivation for coming after the, the uh, main character in the first one was that she was basically causing his congregation to doubt him because she wanted it. She was doing that kind of uh, that thesis or she's doing some 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 uh, work for college on this urban legend of the Candyman. And she was basically causing people not to believe in him. So that gave him motivation to, to try to kill her or, or, you know, set her up. Cause that's a lot of what he did too, is like set her up to make her look like she was the bad guy, yeah. uh, which I thought was actually kind of cool. Like he yeah. just didn't yeah. come right out, just kill her. He was just, he was kind of messing with her throughout the entire movie. I thought that was really, well, he, really neat. He turned her, he turned her into him because she basically yeah. pointed the finger at officer Bellick from prison break at the end. And yeah, and you so you see that I think it was in um, the the second or third movie where they even referenced that. They said that like she basically became like what everyone thought that she was the Candyman, mm-hmm. like, and so that's I guess the how that that story kind of unfolded. But I did 
I did think that the second film, it definitely has its flaws, but I like the idea of setting it uh, like in New Orleans, like during Mardi Gras. Like yeah. there's just a lot there to work with, uh, you know, just visually and, and the lore of, of Mardi Gras and like voodoo and all that kind of stuff. So I thought the premise for setting it there was pretty solid. What did you guys think? Yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, it's logical. I mean, regardless of whether um, the story that changes, it seems from movie to movie, you know, he, him being born in the South, the son of a slave, having it set in the South, I think makes a lot more sense that, you know, it being in Chicago. Urban Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess that's just illustrating how an urban legend can spread, but uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And even, you know, to try and set up within the family and how, um, the main character's mother, uh, is trying to, you know, like, no, 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 none of that. That's not true. While her father's like, oh yeah, it's true. And we need to kind of stop it. Uh, I, I don't think they executed, executed everything, um, as well as they could, but I still think it's a fun movie and it's fine. And I, it's not, I would watch it again. It's fun. Um, yeah, is I, I thought all the acting though was pretty bad across the board in 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 two, with the exception of Tony Todd, who's he's, yeah. he's great as always. Um, the mom, I thought she was really great. I thought I had her name written down, but she was good, and she's been in a lot of stuff. Um, do you guys want to talk more about Candyman two? Like uh, Cody Robert, do you have stuff to you want to talk about this before we move on to the next segment? I'll just Fuck I'll no. just say one I'll thing. Just, <laughs> I'll just say I'll just say one thing. Like. Um, I watched I watched it a, f- a few months ago, and then watching it again uh, last night. Um, it's it's like we said, it's really not a bad movie, and the story is good. It's just like some of the acting is just really bad in it, and like the acting and the chemistry of the actors together, it's 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 pretty bad. But other other than that, like just I, I didn't mind the I didn't mind the story at all. I mean, it kind of you know it makes a little bit of sense, I guess. You know, they they could follow a family member type thing or whatever, but, but yeah, I thought it was good. Obviously Tony Todd is Candyman. So the one thing, the one thing that I don't understand is what if one of these women, um, cause now he's basically coming after this family and he's like each generation it's establishing and he's just going to keep going on to like every, every granddaughter that he has. Like, I guess he's trying to, take them to his realm or something like he always talks about it. he's like come with me i'm wondering i'm wondering about the back to the future paradox here if he keeps killing the the youngest of the line is he not gonna end it the line at some point like how do they keep making out of this how is there more Candyman being summoned <laughs> no I like the way that he tries to kill them. He's convincing them to kill themselves. Like, give yourself to me. Come on, come on. I'm not. I'm not here to kill you. Just, just come on over, dude. Dude. So, if you think about it, though, too, is if if one of these women, if if they now they know that he's just going to keep coming after each of them, each generation, wouldn't it be like you either just stop having kids or you just decide to go with them, and that way you save anyone else, like that could be in your family. That's what I thought. Like, that- <laughs> that's the easiest yeah, way. Well, what I love too is how 
all these people get uh, forced to actually say Candyman is just through peer pressure in every instance. It's like, oh, prove that you're not scared. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, I'll do it. (laughs) I'm like, say what you want about me. I'm fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. But I will say, I I thought the um, the second movie, we've talked about the acting. I will say the CGI at the end (laughs) is so bad. It's so, so bad. And it just, the movie I thought was, was going fairly okay. You know what? It wasn't doing anything special, but it wasn't a, a total crap show. But right at the end, it just, it I, it killed it for me. I He basically turns into like glass and just kind of shatters. But it looks like something from the PlayStation 2 or something. It, it yeah. looks really bad. Like, oh, God. No, they... They should have found some other way of, you know, like, I don't know. And maybe show them in a mirror and the mirror shatters or something. And that's what you get. Like, that would have looked better than having him slowly, like, turn into glass and break. And it just looks like some bad CGI from a PlayStation video game. Looks like Simon Phoenix in Demolition Man. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, okay. So we talked about Candyman 1. We talked about Candyman 2. Uh, so now we're going to start turning our attention to the third installment, uh, Day of the Dead. Uh, but before we get into the synopsis and all of that stuff, let's talk about why we think people should give this movie a watch. So, uh, Cody, why don't you start us off here? Once again, just like Sleepaway Camp, this movie is a rite of passage. And if you were my kid that had enough money, I would spend inordinate amount of, amounts of money to make it this the only Candyman film you could ever see. So you just have to live in that world and just sort of turn out however you turn out. That's why you have to watch this movie. It's just because it's another, it's another rite of passage. If you want to owe the Candyman and pay the Candyman franchise, the, the homage that you deserve it, because, man, I got something spoiled for me the other day. Don't look up any casting stuff for Candyman, uh, it, it, the new one, for in, in any way, shape, or form, because you will fuck yourself out of a really great Easter egg. So oh, that, okay. that's why you need to see three. Because so you can deserve the payoff that's going to happen in the next movie. So you're saying three is mandatory viewing if you plan to watch uh, Jordan Peele's upcoming Candyman uh, movie. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, Corey, what about you? <laughs> yep. I I didn't know what was sharper in this movie, Candyman's hook or her nipples throughout this entire movie. Uh, it damn it damn sure wasn't it damn sure wasn't the focus because the focus was all over the place. It damn sure wasn't the focus that was sharp. <laughs> she did. I don't think she was in a brawl until the very last scene of the movie, which. I, Listen, first set, first set of tits, first set of tits are about at twelve minute mark, and you're like, okay, I can live with this. And you get you you get breasts almost every twelve minutes on the minute, okay, in a flashback or a death scene. But <laughs> but here's the problem with that: when you sign up for some some old school Baywatch playmate action, and you want to, and you're yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, like 
and they don't pay off. They, I mean, I guess they didn't pay her enough. They were like, she was just look like, look like five more grand, and I'll show you like half a one. And they were like, so we're yeah. certain that this is Donna Dierko saying she's not going to do it. This wasn't, you know, the director not wanting to uh, well, get in on some I, of that. I only say that because it, this is the one movie that where the nudity would have served the piece. This is the one movie where it would have served the piece. It would have made it would have made a point. And Candyman could have shamed her for having her tit out. Like, oh, girl, you better put that away. You know, like, oh man, like it would have been. It would have also shamed your boner too. You know, like you would have been like, oh fuck, Candyman's gonna sting me on the tip of my dick. It's called sounding, by the way. Uh, but for real, that's, it is like his great 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 granddaughter. Yeah, too. so there's like some weird dude. But I will say. There's, don't there's a lot of great effects in this movie, but there's a moment that really hits me. The best in-camera effect for me is when our, our uh, I think the guy's name is Miguel, the character's name. He goes down, Candyman comes up. I mean, that, it was all in the same shot. It's amazing. I'm like, that, someone, someone really thought that through. <laughs> the scene where she's uh, daydreaming that she's having sex with the guy, but she's really just in a place just with her friend, like just sitting there. Yeah, there was a lot of weird, like, like fake flashbacks and just, you know, that, that was a weird scene. So, um, uh, Robert, what about you? Reasons why they should uh, watch this movie. It's just, it's, it's, it's so bad, but you have to, you, you have to finish out the trilogy, I guess. I guess you could call it a trilogy. I don't know. But yeah, you just, just watch it just to complete the three and to see Tony Todd be Candyman again. That's about the only reasons I could think of you really want to see this movie. Because, I mean, it's not like it it complements the first movie at all. And it definitely doesn't help the second one either. So, yeah, I would say just, just watch it just so you can finish out the series and move on and hope that this new one is going to be better than the one we just had to watch. I will say that I, I think that the I like that this one kind of further establishes the the, the idea and continuity that he's going to keep coming after every you know granddaughter um, in this like lineage that he has until he gets one of them I guess. Um, but I just thought it was it was weird that they where they set it in Los Angeles and and everything else. But I will say like, if, if there's one reason why you have to watch it, I'll agree with Robert. It's, it's Tony Todd. He's, he's very good here. I think he's like the only, uh, decent actor in this one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Tony Todd's always he awesome. As he, has, as he, che- he just chews up the scenery and he just spits these monologues yeah. and he's like, he said like three words and you're just like, all right, yeah. I'm in. I'll, I'll, I'll watch the scene. He hypnotizes her and the audience every time he's on screen. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so we got one other segment before we get into the recap, but let's look at what else came out in 1999 that was better than Candyman 3. So, oh okay, Cody, what do you got for us? So my, the movie that came out in 99 that I'll say is probably better than this and probably better than most, fucking Varsity Blues. It's a 10. It's a fucking 10. <laughs> John Voight. James Vanderbeek, Allie Larder with some uh, some uh, whipped cream nipples, and uh, I mean, sign me the fuck up. Like seriously, this movie just it fucks. This movie slaps. Okay, I love it. Varsity Blues, twice as good as Candyman Three. <laughs> uh, Corey, what about you? 
everything that Cody just said was incorrect. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, going through what was re- lots of good stuff actually came out. I don't want to step on your Robert's picks or anything. I think my favorite movie that came out in uh, 99 that is better than Candyman 3 is Deep Blue Sea. That's uh, one of my favorite <laughs> shark. <laughs> Fuck my, you. My hat is a shark fin, by the way. Rock my hat rock. is a shark. <laughs> but not that's, that's, that's what those, LL Cool J said in the song. That's one of those uh one of my favorite shark movies outside of yes. Jaws. Uh it is fucking stupid. It's ridiculous, but they fucking own it. They're not tr- they don't take themselves too seriously. The Samuel L. Jackson speech mm. that ends with a shark grabbing him, LL Cool J and his parrot. Just the entire fucking <laughs> thing is just a piece of fucking fried gold. Um <laughs> Everything about I watched it. That's one of those movies I had to watch multiple times a year. I know they just came out with a third one. I wasn't even aware the second one existed, so I got to catch up on that. But yeah, Deep Blue Sea, uh, one of my favorites of all time, really. So. Yeah, I love that movie. Me and uh, me and Ryan Hald actually went and saw that uh, down at Hollywood Theater when it came out. Like, yeah, besides Jaws, yeah, that is that is definitely my favorite shark movie. That movie's awesome. And I was going to talk about that one, but I guess since you said that, I'll. Uh, I guess um, for me, I, I, I'm sure there's a um, a lot of hate for it, and I'm not a huge fan of it. But uh, the Blair Witch Project, like w- when it like the movie's not spectacular by no means. I think you know, but the build up for that movie, like all the all the internet buzz and like the website they made and all the you know they played it off to be like something it, it that launched a genre. Say that again. It launched a yeah. genre. It, that movie launched yeah, the genre. That's the found a, that's footage, yeah. Film. And it, I think uh, you were leaning towards it, uh, Robert, but I think this might have been the first movie that kind of used viral marketing yes, um, exactly. on the internet, with the internet. I think that's kind of what you're leading to, but yeah. you know, not only, Cody, like you said, it launched a whole like subgenre, but I think it also helped launch like viral marketing for movies uh, on the internet. Yeah, like I remember like going uh, over to... Uh, to Jared White's place because I didn't have the internet at the time and back in 99 and we would like you know like go down to his parents room and like go to the website and read and see like if they had put anything else like updated it you know or whatever they were doing with it because you know like I said they played it off to be like it was an actual event or whatever and these people were missing and stuff so we were like reading about it you know like not really like wholeheartedly believing it just being like you know, what, you know, what are they going to, what's, what's coming next, you know, type thing. And then like, I remember a few friends actually like the movie freaked them out and shit. Like it didn't really like freak me out, but I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a good idea. And yeah, like you said, it launched that found footage films and stuff like that. And it had a, it had a bit of a creepiness to it, but I remember the first, the first time I ever got on the internet, it was at Cody's house. And he, he, I remember this was still when we were, they had to pay like per minute to like AOL or whoever it was. It was so funny. So, but we stayed up all night long just in chat rooms, like talking to these like vampire people that we just kept messing with them all night long. We were just, just like, trolling. Them. So just stupid. trolling. Oh man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started looking up uh, wrestling trivia and just doing that for the rest of our school year. So, um, Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick a movie that's crazy, but I just watched it recently for the first time, and you guys are probably going to make fun of me for it. But uh, Stir of Echoes came out in September oh, yeah. of '99, 
And um, we watched this new one um, with him uh, have left. in it recently. Uh, God, what was the new movie that you should have left? Yes. That was a, a, an awesome spin on um, like a, a haunted house type story. Um, and Kevin Bacon's awesome in it. He still looks great too. Super in shape and everything. I was like, holy crap, man. He's still holding it together. Good for him. Dude, have you seen Cop Car? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no, Stir of Echoes was really good. I thought I thought he was awesome in it. <laughs> I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, There's a lot of good movies that came out in 99. I was really surprised by, by just going through the list. I mean, you had The Matrix in here. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff every month. Heavy, heavy hitters. Um, the Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Oh yeah, <laughs> that movie was big though. That movie huge. They, I think that made a ton of money, man. That's a, a huge lot movie. of. Saw that in the theater. Also saw Star of Echoes in the theater. <laughs> yeah, Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo. Yes, <laughs> Ravenous is an awesome cannibal flick. If y'all haven't seen that cannibal movie, yeah, dude, amazing soundtrack. That movie has a fucking then, uh, good soundtrack. We should also just uh, and Ed, Ed Rooney. Ed Rooney from Ferris Bueller gets eaten in that. movie. I would say also a uh, Man Ferris on the Bueller. Moon, Jim Carrey. Oh uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, that is and awesome. Also, the uh, trauma classic Terror Firmer was a '99 flick. So. <laughs> So that's probably why this movie released on DVD because I don't see Couldn't where. It, yeah, I, I think that was probably a, a, a smart move. I don't know if that was something that they would have done. And the like, prequels were coming out. Wasn't Star Trek prequels or Star Wars prequels were coming out? So there was like there was definitely no theaters that were like, "Candy Man Three, are you shitting me? We're about to play the Phantom Menace for fifteen weeks." Well, I mean, <laughs> the guy that made it, he had never done a feature film before, and like pretty much everything he's done afterwards uh, has been on television. And I even wrote down while I was watching this, it looks like it's shot like it's a fucking TV show. Yeah, it does have that TV show like look to it. I don't know why it would ha- like necessarily have that weird vibe to it, but... Is it just like maybe on the type the quality of cameras they're so, using? It's a budget, it's a budget yeah. thing. So like they they didn't even mention what they shot on. So it's just like the bottom of the barrel. They're just shooting it like in pe- friends' houses and warehouses and studios and studios. Like every bathroom scene, every blood scene was in like clearly on a soundstage that they just borrowed from someone. They were like just like three hours. Can we get it? And they just kept it for like 10 hours. That's it that's kind like of there's a lot of like do. establishing shots and like long shots. Like it's, everything's like no, up they, close and just like, it's, there's like that one B roll shot of LA to like, to sort of establish mm-hmm. the scene. And then the rest of the time they're just like, look, you're right here. You're in a bubble. And also if you'll notice any scene where Donna Diarico is actually acting, doing her dramatic acting, it's always a fucking close up. And the reason it's a close up is because she was like, definitely not actually doing her full acting during the wide because some actors just burn themselves out like doing the same shit over and over so all of her like emotional shit with her friend and everything it's all these close-ups and i'm like oh that's because clearly she was just like not giving it to them until they got the close-up which is just sort of a thing that happens sometimes interesting man like, but a quick Kevin Bacon segue. There's a movie from 2015. It's called Cop Car. It's a fucking thriller. It's a crime movie. Like these two kids, they find this like random ass abandoned police car and they get it and they start driving around. Turns out Kevin Bacon's a crooked ass cop and he's coming after him. It's fucking a good dude. I'm telling you, you guys check it, it out. It's called a Cop pig Car. In this one. Oh yeah. The, the, 
the the, the actual bacon <laughs> itself. Uh, but, Thank you for getting that, that set up, Cody. Good uh, job. Good job. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> okay. But dude, but so back to the production of Candyman three. So there was like, there, there's so much that bothers me about the way that they're like. It's every time that Tony Todd's killing someone, it's a fucking one shot. It's like just a two shot. It's like they're not cutting around. They're just going to show him do the motion, the motion, quick insert shot. Like whenever someone hands, when he hands her like a piece of paper, it's like this literal, like the most cliche insert shot I've ever seen in the history of film. It's, it's like all of his kills seem throughout this series. Like he's not the most like creative killer. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you look at uh, some of the other, you know, horror icons of this era and stuff, and they're doing all sorts of different stuff. But he's basically just each each kind of kill is is not too different than the last. He's just a lot of times it's from behind and sticking his. For me, the scariest moment and the best kill is the Mexican cantina bathroom hallucination, where he slits the mom's throat and then her eyes are black. That yeah. shit hit me. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, if we could do a little bit more of that. And then they go, oh, dude. And I just have to mention this other, this effects sequence. Like, so she's making breakfast, and there's a bloody egg yolk, and the beef oh, fucking exits. Yeah. That is a good shot. Dude, are you shitting me? That was that was top fucking notch. And then they ruined that shit with a jump scare of a little ass girl just being like, they say Candyman says stuff. <laughs> you know, like, that shit was fucking dumb. I was like, you just blew the, like the most like pivotal part of the movie that like it, it brought me in. I was like, next time I make eggs, I'm going to think fucking <laughs> twice, twice with a D. <laughs> uh. Okay. Um, before we get into the recap, do you guys want to take this, a quick this break? movie was like, after these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Convicted for tasteless advertising. Joe greed of Westway Ford languishes in jail. Sent by my legion of warriors to set Joe Greed free. Let's boogie! No, come on. How can I ever repay you? With the new car. Like this new 87 Yugo. For only $87 down, it's yours for just $87 a month. What a pal. Whoa, whoa, Westway Ford. Westway Airport freeway at MacArthur and... All right, uh, let's get into the movie recap, guys. Uh, so... Uh, first thing, this movie was released uh, January first of nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> so it's it's crazy to think that this was technically the first one of the first movies that came out in nineteen ninety nine. Senior year, bro. Senior year. <laughs> yeah. Um, it had it, it did have an R rating. Like Cody said earlier, that this was a straight to DVD release, whereas the first two did go to theaters. Um, the first movie made uh, over twenty five million. Then the uh, the second one made thirteen, almost fourteen million, um, and then like like we said, this one went straight to DVD. It has a runtime of ninety five minutes. Um, it was primarily filmed in in East LA, which uh, they were they were pretty <laughs> over. Uh, you know, they kind of beat you over the head with with that whole uh, you know Hispanic <laughs> culture down in East East LA throughout this movie. Um, this was directed again by Turi Meyer, who did. Um, did they do the first two movies or just the second one? Because I know I, I saw his name there uh, as well. Terry Meyer, this is only Candy Man. He did anything with. Oh, was it? Okay, okay. My mistake then. Um, <clears throat> so, again, we have Tony Todd back. Um, the the new white uh, blonde-haired girl, because <laughs> each one of these movies need a white blonde, is uh, Donna Dierico. 
which uh, she what what other what other uh, classic films so, has she been in? Uh, she Corey? got her start on Baywatch Nights from '96 to '97, then Baywatch from '96 to '98. Uh, she was a Playboy playmate. Uh, she appeared in Austin Powers and Goldmember, and that's about it. She uh, was married to Nikki Six from Motley Crue from '96 to 2007. So during this time, and um, yeah. As you can tell from this movie, uh, she just did not have much going for her in the way of acting talent. Uh, she, uh, yeah, Baywatch and Playboy seems I, like what her true calling was. <laughs> I was trying to think to myself um, when she was on this because I think she probably at, at this time probably had the biggest name of any other actor that was in this. I think she got top billing credits over Tony Todd. Which is a shame in this one. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but I was going to say is like, her, did, is her being in this movie, did it elevate Candyman 3 or did it actually like bring her down and saying like, okay, this is where her career is at now that she's in Candyman 3? This was a proof is in the pudding type of situation. They they needed that name. She was probably one of the only people that was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You know, she fit the description. Like it, it's a, it's a no brainer. You know, when you, when you smoke cocaine not crack cocaine when you smoke cocaine you'll do anything to keep that train rolling and Candyman 3 was just a ticket that needed to be pulled a, uh, a ticket stub that needed to be ripped on the train to cocaine smoking but some Whoa. person's crack cocaine smoking habits were definitely thoroughly sated sated during the filming of this movie <laughs> oh I love it I think um, actually Nikki Six is a shadow producer a silent partner on this film just for just for speculation's sake and and we also have uh, how do you say his name is it, it's, uh, I know who you're talking about uh, Ernie Hudson Jr. motherfucker that's oh, how you say God. the name <laughs> fuck up about Ernie Hudson Jr. for Christ's sakes <laughs> he's the unsung hero oh, of this film God, you love him more than his mother loves him <laughs> oh, uh, so no, the guy you're Could talking you about, he's credited as Nick Corey. Uh, his real name is Jesus Garcia. The JSU is pronounced Jesu. Um, what we recognize him from is as Rod from a Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of the asshole in that movie. Uh, he was also in Miami Vice, Predator Two, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Red Shoe Diaries, one of your favorites. Uh, yeah, Vampire oh, yeah. in Brooklyn. But the big thing I did not know. Oh, he was yeah. in Vampire Brooklyn. Great, great movie. I love so that. Apparently, he is an ordained minister in something called the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness, founded by a fellow named John Roger. That's a hyphenated name, John Roger. Uh, he became around 1988. Um, he became John Roger's living bodyguard, chauffeur, student, collaborator, and friend until his. John Rogers' mm-hmm. death in uh, 2014. He even made a uh, documentary with him uh, called The Mystical Travelers, which is how John Roger referred to himself. So, um, because apparently, like when he was doing Nightmare on Elm Street, he was addicted to heroin and whatnot. And he credited this guy, for better or worse, for turning his life around. But there's been lots of rumors about this being a cult and some nefarious things going on. But uh, yeah, he's uh, a minister. Holy crap. Named Jesu. <laughs> Jesu. Yeah. And of course, uh, wow. in the movie, okay. he plays David De La Paz, the uh, actor who uh, 
crashes the art gallery show and turns into Don DeArco's love interest and gets kidnapped by Candyman. That's his role in the movie. And she has a very messed up uh, like dream about him later in the movie, which we'll we'll yeah, probably yeah. get to. That Favorite was very in camera effects. One of the best in camera effects of the entire film. Yeah, no, that was cool. It was just very disturbing. It was like, the whole thing, the whole scene uh, was just disturbing from start to finish. Um, um, oh, I think it is also probably prudent for us to go into the tomato meters on these ones. Uh, <laughs> so the first Candyman. Uh, we got a 74, which is pretty respectable. Solid. Um, I think it, it, yeah, solid movie. Like we said, I think it's probably a bit underrated, especially nowadays. I think it holds up really well, especially compared to some other movies that were released around the same time. Uh, and then Candyman 2 took a quite noticeable dive. It's at 29%, um, which I think it deserves a little bit better than that. I think it's a, it's, it's a better film than 29, but... I would say maybe they're in the. I mean, 50s. it's definitely watchable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I, yeah, I, I think it does some cool stuff. Uh, and then Candyman three really got Woo! down there, ten uh, percent, which um, worse than Halloween Resurrection. I don't, yeah, it went, Resurrection was yep. an eleven. Wow, that's man, and that's that's. I just want to call you assholes out on it too, because at the le- end of the last episode, we discussed this, and uh, it was told to me that I would like Candyman three better than Halloween Resurrection. I don't know that that's true. I think I might hate it more. Bullshit. <laughs> Quit lying. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah of man. course, like you mentioned, uh, it stars Tony Todd, which I think anyone who's a fan of horror knows who he is. But let me just go through a quick list of his credits. He was in uh, Platoon, the Night of the Living Dead remake by Tom Savini, uh, the Candyman series, Final Destination series, the Hatchet series. I did not know this. He was in 14 episodes of The Young and the Restless in 2013. So that was probably really? some hot, steamy soap opera stuff. Uh, he was all... Showing up. Yeah, yeah. He was in... Um, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. He was the voice of the Fallen. And uh yeah. oh. can we can we speak to the the moments when he's getting the bees in his mouth in the movies? Apparently I've read that he gets a bonus if he Yeah, gets like stung. the first movie he got he that- uh negotiated a contract <laughs> where he would get a thousand dollar bonus for each bee sting and ended up being sung twenty three times. And also a fun fact the guy who was the bee handler on this movie was also the bee handler on My Girl. So he killed Macaulay Culkin. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. So we really do have, like, a connection I'm willing to bet there's the Candyman. bee in the Ernest movie that he also handled bees for. I think we should take that oh, deeper. So the Ernest connection, I, I really, really tried this time, and um, I found one. Yeah, I, I'm not proud of it. Oh, no. And I am reaching. So um, the composer of the Candyman series, the first two, Philip Glass, not the third one, because no one with any talent participated in this uh, film. Uh, the composer, Philip Glass, he once gave a speech at the University of Puget Sound, where my wife went to college. An alumni of the University of Puget Sound is Adam West, the uh man who played Batman on TV. Batman or Adam West also would play the role of Mayor Adam West on Family Guy in an episode that Jim Varney was part of too. 
Wow. Congrats. Yeah. I have to give you a clap, but man, that no, no, work well no, done. Don't clap for that. That's <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I think I owe my wife some royalties now. <laughs> okay, but the uh let's get into the people that made it. Uh the director, Turi Meyer. Uh the first credit I found of his, which shocking because how crappy this is. He was the director of archive footage in 1995 for an episode of Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater on the movie channel. Wow. I don't know what director of archive footage means. Maybe put together the clips at the beginning of the episode or something. But uh, he made this movie. And then he made a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Smallville, and along with the uh, producer, Al Septian, he co-wrote this movie, and they have worked together on everything. Uh, they're kind of like a team. Uh, they also wrote Leprechaun 2. Nice. They, they wrote the uh, fantastic, fantastic Carrot Top movie, Chairman of the Board. They've been on a cocaine train, smoking cocaine. Yeah, ever so since the beginning really, of their career. There's a fun clip online of uh, Norm Macdonald on Conan O'Brien roasting uh, Courtney Thorne Smith over being in chairman of the board with Carrot Top. <laughs> uh, they, he, him and uh, this uh, Al Septian guy also wrote Wrong Turn 2 Dead End. Not the movie, the video game. Oh, I was going to say, I liked I liked uh, the first few Wrong Turn movies, but yeah, I yep. didn't know that a video game even existed. It does. Uh, the producer and co-writer, El Septian, also has dabbled in acting, uh, appearing in Beauty and the Beast, the TV series, Doogie Howser, <laughs> In Living Color, the fantastic martial arts film, Three Ninjas, uh, oh, yeah. Murphy oh, Brown, and a movie that I actually kind of want to seek out. I didn't know it existed. Uh, I can only assume it's a parody, Plump Fiction. <laughs> So, oh, and man. then the other co-producer, William Stewart, he uh, co-produced The Rock, uh, The Secret of Nim 2, Timmy to the Rescue, and uh, pretty much that's it. He did, none of these people have really went on to have successful careers. I would say the only person with a career worth speaking of after this might be uh, Tony Todd, because, uh, yeah. What did he go on to do after this film? Tony Todd, I mean... He went on to, after this movie, so, I mean, he had already established himself as Candyman. Uh, right. He, after this, he did uh, Final Destination. He was in 1, 2, 3, and 5. He was in Hatchet, Hatchet 2, uh, and Victor Crowley, and the run Young and Restless episode run I mentioned. Plus, like I said earlier, he's a really serious actor. He does a bunch of stage stuff, wins awards doing that, so... Uh, even when he's not working in film, he's doing, I would assume, more serious roles instead of, a, you know, a dude with a hook for a hand that kills people that say his name into a mirror. Right. And that's that's the one thing I always thought was really weird because Tony Todd is so well-spoken. Uh, I thought that they could have done a lot more with his character than have him just be the son of a slave. Because yeah. even as Candyman, like, he's very well-spoken. Um and I just I think that there was just a lot more potential in his character to like flesh it out and give him a much cooler backstory. Well, yeah, I mean, like we talked about before we started recording, uh, 
Bernard Rose, the director of the first one, he had an idea for the sequel where they would have uh, not really made uh, Daniel Robitaille into a slave who did all this, but more as into a free man, kind of a aristocrat of sort that's a painter and turn him into kind of a that era of the uh, late 19th century, kind of a Dracula type character. And uh, that was Nick's because the studio uh, we both read did not feel comfortable making an interracial uh, love story at the time. And uh, so they went with what we got in part two. Uh, this was the late, like, like mid nineties though. Like, I mean, it's not like, man, I guess it's, it's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, that's not that big of a deal. We had, and it's, there's still an interracial love story I mean, in the second was, one. I mean, maybe it they was don't barely, just, you know, what? explore it, but it's there. And it's, it's an ancestral one at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, originally with him and Caroline from the second one, the great, great grandmother is not, but yeah, throughout the, when he's going after his great granddaughter in the second one. And then in the third one, it's all incestual. So that's a, that's a weird turn it took. <laughs> that they don't really no one ever questions it at all like they just kind of just i guess they're more like upset the fact that there's just this crazy you know man trying to kill them than ask like why is he wanting to marry me or take me to his weird ghost home yeah yeah I, I, it definitely uh <laughs> gave me kind of the, uh gave me the willies uh tony todd himself has said he did not care for this movie which is glowing praise from not only the person that starred in it, but also co-produced the movie. It's just like you, you had a stay in how this movie was made. So <laughs> you're kind of blaming yourself for making a shit movie. Yeah. But, there's the, his, his, uh, you know, the blood is on his hands too. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, and we talked about this too, before we started, uh, when artisan started making this movie, they didn't realize <laughs> that Sony, who made the original movie owned all rights to any sequel. And so there's like, Oh shit. But some of like, no, absolutely. Go ahead. We don't give a fuck. We're not messing with this. So I just want to know, how does that, how does that happen? Like, how do you get so like far into like making the movie that you don't realize that you can't even make it legally? Well, first off, how do you just assume like, Oh, this, uh, we have no rights to this film whatsoever, but it's like, we decide, hey, we're going to go make another uh, Evil Dead movie and not tell Sam Raimi about it. Yeah, that's no uh, uh, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, Candyman was a known quantity. It's underrated, but it was a known quantity, and that's it was like, well that's why you see That's why you see those giant, like, long lists of names at the end of a film. It's because there's people in, like, a legal department that they go and look it up and say, exactly what is this damn, uh, what is this, what does this contract say about you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like so wild that someone didn't look up and say, oh shit, Sony owns any rights to any sequels. We fucked up. But Sony was like, but I, yeah, lo- I love Sony it. was the, yeah, that was the best part. They're like, we're, we're fine. Uh, letting you, you try to make some money off of this. Yeah. Film. You want to go ahead and shoot your foot. Here's the gun. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> let's get into this travesty because the sooner we start, the sooner we can finish. So, uh, Candyman Day of the Dead begins with, uh, why I assume we wish this experience was a bad dream sequence. So we have Don DiErico, who is the daughter of Annie Tarrant, the protagonist from the second one. Uh, she's pregnant at the end of it. 
Uh, we see her in her undies and like a skimpy little tank top dealing with a uh, bathtub that's leaking blood, filling up with blood. Um, she looks in the mirror, she's Candyman for the first time, and uh, then it goes straight to the title card. I mean, this movie compared to the other two, they'd waste no time in revealing Candyman. They don't build up any suspense. They don't put any mystery in it. It's just like, yep, before we even start this shit, here's Tony Todd. What it gives you everything you want right up front. I mean, you've got Donna Dierko in like barely any clothes. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it, within a, a couple minutes, you've got Candyman already on screen and you're just like, holy crap, like this is going to be a fast paced movie. It, from from this this opening setup, I'm all there. It, it I'm I'm in it. You know, like I, I I'm really excited with what's happening. How could it go wrong? Well, they figured out how to. <laughs> uh, so Caroline, the character played by Don DeErico, she's named after her great great grandmother who got Candyman's candy dick back in the day uh, <laughs> to start this whole bloodline. <laughs> And Caroline's participating in an art show, uh, showcasing her great-great-grandfather's paintings. So the owner of this gallery, Miguel, wants to, you know, really play up, hey, Candyman, the urban legend everyone knows about, this is his paintings. Whereas she's like, no, this is a real man who did real things. We need to respect his art. And he's like, dude, no one's going to come see this shit. We got to try to make money. No one gives a fuck. He was a complete asshole, like in this scene, though, because she was just like, "This is, you know, like my family. I want to like do this." He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it." And then you're going to get to it, but he's even worse, like in the next scene after this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, after that, we are at the night of the show called Candyman, collected works of Daniel Robitaille. And did you what y'all think about the quality of these paintings? They tried to make them look good, but it looks more like they're just like photographs that what's kind of funny like a what's filter on to make it look like a painting in in some films in some films you'll like pas like our department will put together puzzles and we'll put that shit in the background as a photo as like a painting and at, from a far enough shot you'll be like shit that that puzzle that jigsaw puzzle does look like a painting i swear the, the fucking the main one of tony todd looks like a jigsaw puzzle to me when they get close up <laughs> Well, we'll learn later on in the film that it's it's no jigsaw puzzle, baby. No. You want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, that, like, I think that these, like, with the exception of the one of Tony Todd, and I, I think most of them are just random paintings that they bought of people, like, at, at pawn shops. Well, I like how it, it seems like most of them are of Caroline, the uh, old one, the old version. Mm-hmm. Um but in the original movie, the whole thing is he was hired to paint this dude's daughter and he fell in love with her while he was painting this picture. Then he got murdered. It looks like he painted a whole shit whack of fucking pictures of this lady, including one of himself, which yeah, he did a self-portrait. Like when- <laughs> self-portrait. That must, that yeah. must have been rock hard for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's great. I guess he must have just... Yeah, these are... I guess the Caroline one technically would have been his last, right? Because that was the one he was painting. Um, and so I, I would assume all I these other works were done pre-Caroline. Sure. <laughs> I'm trying to take it serious here as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They're just trying to force something in there to have this be like a plot point so they can mm-hmm. give her a reason to be doing shit, I guess. But uh, so... 
at the show, Miguel, the promoter, basically, he gives us the whole backstory of Candyman yet again. Second time they've done it in this one alone. And also, is anyone watching Candyman 3 just on its own without having seen the first two? I mean, has that happened? I just don't feel it's necessary to rehash everything. I think people know the Candyman Look, story. There's, I have an illegitimate child out there, and when I get the money, they'll they'll know. They'll know what happens if this is the <laughs> they watch only Candyman three. They basically do this in every sequel because the second one also had that bit with the uh, the the one author that basically stands up at, at the beginning of the film and and gives you the the whole recap. And so that was kind of the same setup that they they almost did here um, in the uh, to to begin the art show. Yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of something that they're obliged to do. It's just, I don't know. I felt, yeah. Uh, so after doing this thing where he kind of, you know, pumps up the whole urban legend aspect, he introduces Caroline, who again goes into the whole thing that, no, he's not this monster. He's just a dude that made these paintings. Um, so Miguel is like, well, if you don't believe it, then say Candyman five times in the mirror. And uh-oh. The one thing you shouldn't do, she does. So 15 minutes in the movie, we had the main character say Candyman five times in the mirror. Then out of nowhere, someone shatters this mirror. It turns out to be this crazy man that's like yelling, oh, he's going to get you. Candyman's going to get you. And the cops drag him away. Uh, but in the very next scene after the show's over, he shows back up. Miguel pays him some money. He's just an actor. Uh, David De La Paz, pay, played by Jesu Garcia, I believe it is. Um, he's just an actor that Miguel hired to, you know, create some excitement for the show. And again, uh, Caroline's not too pleased about this and storms off. Um, the next one part, she's on her way home and she goes down into the subway. I was not aware that LA had subways. Um, that's, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't know either, but like, why would she go into like the creepiest subway in the world? And not expect something bad to happen. Yeah. And so she's down in there. And then this huge swarm of bees comes out of the subway tunnel, basically carrying Candyman out to her. And it's, I had to watch it a couple of times and even get my wife's opinion. <laughs> it is the worst green screen yeah. effect. I, I, and I don't even understand because they're shooting it from like, you know, the knees up or something. So they could have easily had him on a track. Or it looks like he's like sitting on a, like a sofa couch or something that's green screen and he, they're just kind of moving him forward. Yeah. It, it looks so awkward. It, and then, so just like in any other Candyman movie, when he shows up, the pretty white lady gets all woozy and then passes out. And I thought it was one of the worst on-camera faints I've ever seen. By <laughs> she just like slowly goes to her knees no, and carefully no, she lays laid down. down. She laid down. <laughs> she did not hit the ground. She just like, in the weight, dude, it's like when a little kid is like pretending they're not tired. She did the fall asleep lay down. That's what yeah, she did. Like, they're not paying me enough to, to <laughs> hit the ground hard. So uh, she passes out in the subway. Then she wakes up the next morning on a bench outside Miguel's house. And we're led to believe that, um, just out in LA, someone uh, as attractive as Don D'Erico can just fall asleep randomly on a park bench and nothing happened. Uh, I guess that's an optimistic point of view, or maybe they're in just a really good part of LA. Uh, so she really... goes into Miguel's house just to, I guess, see what's going on. And as she explores it, we are treated to flashbacks from the night before Miguel and his uh, date, who are again frisky. 
Uh, she decides to, you know, get set the mood by smearing honey all over her bare breasts, uh, straight from a honeycomb. Because- I mean, you're, wait, wait, have you not experienced a woman doing that no. in front of you before? No, never happened. <laughs> I have actually never seen a goddamn honeycomb. <laughs> Where the fuck do you get this? I mean, at your local grocer. I have don't you know. Seen, hey, who has seen a honeycomb in in real per, in real life? I got I got one in my in my cupboard right are now. You, are you trying to say that they don't exist? I I don't. <laughs> you can't Listen, prove apple jacks do not taste like apples. Okay, <laughs> we just like them. Okay, so so Miguel and his lady they're getting frisky and they uh, move into the bedroom. And at this point, I mean, I think we could have a movie just about these fucking bees because in a swarm, they can crash through a glass window. I don't know about physics. I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure even if you had that many bees flying at top speed, they're not going to be able to shatter through a fucking window. What they should have done is have them like form some sort of like arrow or something like a long spear. <laughs> like and crash a Holy shit, I would love to see a fucking hook hand made of bees. <laughs> just That would be an actual pretty interesting kill if the bees were the one, actual the, hook. You know, like the one major kill move they had was the, the hook bursting from everyone's chest. And it's just the medium shot. They're like close up. I'm like, that is so bad. But it's like, wouldn't it be so much better if bees were shooting out of the chest of the people that are getting hooked, you know? Like, no. yeah. I mean... So let's talk about the way Candyman's nearly universal way to kill people. The hook through the back, out the stomach. Whenever they show it, it seems like it's not the point of the hook going in. He just kind of like forces the like curve of the hook through their body. Did y'all notice that or anything? Yeah, the, it's somehow he's like, he's making a straight line where there should be an ellipsis. And it's he's he bends the laws of physics, honestly. I mean, I guess... Well, Complaining about laws of physics in a movie about a ghost in a mirror is silly. But I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last bit. What, what, what did you say, Corey? How does he? He always just plunges the hook into someone's back, not like the point first and like curve it up. I, I mentioned like, that to Jamie. Like, how does how does force. he do it? Mm-hmm. It just yeah. like pushes through his back or the, the, the I don't back think it's a push through. I think it's more of a phase. Like since he is an ethereal like like being he's like kind of halfway in between both worlds. So when he goes to the chest, he's really just appearing half right there. And he's just, his matter is just there. Like, you know, it's like a, it's like a trash can in a, or like a piece of trash in the movie ghost, you know, like you kind of, he like he kind of, what? he appears there and pushes himself through. <laughs> it's a force push actually from the Jedi. And now we have the moment in the podcast where we think more about this movie than the writers did. Yep. It it happens every time. <laughs> uh so uh old honey tits gets uh swarmed by bees and that's a really bad effect. It's clearly just like a bunch of stuff glued to her face and they just linger on it. So it's Oh, it's not I mean like they, they weren't even trying here. It looks like you know that old fake vomit that you'd get that was yeah. like a rubber and you yeah. just put it on there. It basically looks like this, that same stuff. They just kind of like glued it to her and it was just like just some brown like bumps and stuff. It, they did not even look like bees no, at all. Terrible. It was bad. Uh, so at this point, Caroline stumbles upon the bodies and 
Candyman has written the word believe in blood on the walls. Um, so Caroline is questioned by the police, including Cody Putman's uh, male crush, Ernie Hudson Jr. And then um, two other cops uh, come in who are really, you know, doing their Mark Furman impression. Just it's weird. It's like they're being racist and sexist, but the stereotypical jokes they're telling are stereotypes themselves. I feel there's like no creativity going into making these people sound like they're racist or sexist. Like the guy, Wade Williams, like Wade Williams, the guy that plays the detective. He's, he's you, you, everyone here would recognize him as officer Bellick in the, in the show prison break. Well, he's Uh, in every, so many of his credits, he's playing a cop of some sort. Well, he, when he's like, it's so bad. Like his, you know, he's, he's doing this stuff and he calls every Mexican guy Vato. Like it's their actual name. And he's just like, Vato. Like, but he's also using it as an adverb at one point. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like it was, it was so bad. Like his, like the, just the portrayal of like, even the one cop even looks like Mark Furman, the one with the mustache that, yeah. that consoles <laughs> Donna after, after officer Bellick just bitch slaps her, yeah. like or pimp slaps her or whatever the appropriate term is, because man, he slaps the ever living come out of her (laughs) well we'll get to that uh so um they take over the case from ernie hudson jr and uh it's made clear that uh this cop has the hots for don diarico uh can't blame him caroline returns home uh hears her roommate tamara screaming gets all freaked out because she you know just stumbled across two bodies but her roommate's just rehearsing for a role she landed in a horror movie and then we have a bathtub crying scene with Don Diarico very strategically covering her breasts. And then it cuts almost directly to a shot of her chest in a tank top, no bra, very cold room. So um, kind of jarring how they're going to such lengths to hide her breasts than really showing them off. Yeah, that whole shower scene was just really. I think it was a compromise. It was like a juvenile compromise because if you if you look at the arc of the scene, like she's like washing off this like filth of like in this this fright of like Candyman, like you know, basically violating her privacy, and so she's like all covered up. So it makes sense for the scene, but I'm just like, this is not the tone of this movie. We're not feeling this woman's plight, like you know, like we we should be seeing more than we're feeling. And, and I don't mean that in a sexist way that like, I only watch this movie to hopefully see her tits, but I mean like, yeah, it's, I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, come on. She's a playmate. And they're already online. Like, why wouldn't they have just been like, <laughs> can we get a couple extra dollars for this? Can we get so, 40 extra ducats per day? Yeah. So, uh, while in the bathtub or the pat bathtub, she has a flashback to, uh, when she discovered her mother, uh, Annie from the first movie, she discovers her in the bathtub with her throat mm-hmm. slit, which kind of explains that first flashback. We started the movie off. Um, so she goes into a little scene where she's explained to her roommate, how her mother committed suicide. Um, that all, it, to me, I hate this part because it kind of just negates the entire ending of the second movie because, you know, they had gone through all this to destroy him. They destroyed it. And now they're saying that the lady who suffered all this killed herself because she was still scared of Candyman. And I, I just don't like the way they kind of like, yeah, forget about the ending of that one. What'd y'all think? Yeah. Well, I don't think this movie gave a shit about the first two movies at all. Basically. 
they like like I said, like we've talked about before, like it it completely changed how he became Candyman. Like or at least the scene the like you know, where it showed him instead of front of in front of the log, it showed him like almost being crucified or whatever. But like yeah, this 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 the whole like uh thing she was you know, too scared or whatever. Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't follow to how, like you said, how the second one ended and how you thought, you know, she would, I guess, continue or whatever. It just, yeah, it does. It doesn't make a lot of. It doesn't. This movie doesn't make a lot of sense overall, to me. So, is the idea that he may have killed her in the end? Is that when we now like have he has her with him all the time, and so he is with her now? Is that what it's? Is is that what it's trying to tell us? So are. Well, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, what? Because he he has scenes with like where Annie is with him, right? And he's kind of like messing with right. Carolyn. Um, but it, so when it shows that like she died at some point, right. and it's alluding that it was Candyman, and she didn't commit suicide, maybe. Uh, does it? Does that mean that she's like now with him? I, I mean, maybe. I, I I guess. I mean, I guess it all depends on. Is it is it up to you know, <laughs> our interpretation, or is like is there is there a fact to this somewhere that like or, Corey, or what's your make, take? The filmmakers are lazy. That's well, the, yeah. <laughs> I I give them no credit for like thinking this through. It's just they need to advance the story on to the end credits eventually, and they. So this is another example of us just kind of looking too too deep into this. I Absolutely. Like so 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 Candyman, hold on. So Candyman killed her, and now he has her. Is that what you're? Is that what you're asking? That's yeah, the, that's, yeah. So, that's what's so arbitrary is because the inevitability of give yourself over, or if you die, you're still going to be with them forever. Right, right. Right. So regardless, if if. if she was so scared she killed herself, or if he came and killed her, she's still fucking with him. Exactly. No, later on in the movie, it's revealed that for whatever reason, she got really depressed and didn't really believe he was gone. So she summoned him again, and that's when he came back and killed oh, her. Oh, Jesus. But it, but she is still, she is with him, though, now, like in his like realm or wherever he wants to take them. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really give a fuck. I, I thought care. you were the uh, the authority on all things Candyman three, Corey. What I'm are we the authority doing? on finishing this episode so we can move <laughs> on with our fucking lives. Fair enough. <laughs> I think somebody needs a nap. I do. I do. Listen, you. Uh, oh, you, you. Your fingers hurt. Well, you're not. Your back's gonna hurt because you pulled landscaping duty. <laughs> World you're now. in my world now, Grandma. <laughs> oh, now you will do just, just a quick segue. Just a quick segue. Magic Camp with Adam Devine and Jeffrey Tambor is like kind of like heavyweights light for magicians, and it's it's really good. It's on Disney Plus. Family Family Points, so you can watch more horror films after. Uh, I no. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay. Listen, right. or you can be my kid that grows up only knowing Candyman three. You got, you got one choice. Okay, uh, so after this, wherever the fuck we were, uh, David, uh, the actor from the art gallery, shows up at Caroline's apartment, angrily confronts her over uh, what she told the police about Miguel's murder and about him being in the gallery and throwing having a scene. Uh, so, of course, this odd couple get together and 
come to an agreement. They need to figure out what's going on and speed off on a motorcycle where uh, the detective from earlier sees this. He's very angry, calls his partner to get him to do a background check. And it turns out he had brought Caroline Roses to try to win her over. But no, she's with this ruffian out on his motorbike. And um, so he throws the roses down out of the car, takes a hit of his flask and drives off after them. Throughout the course of this movie, he calls them, he, he calls this guy like pretty much every Hispanic racial slur out there. <laughs> like he holds nothing back. He is an utter piece of crap. This dude. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the whole thing. I mean, they even go into it about how people in East LA don't cooperate with the cops and this, that, and the other. And um, I don't think they play up so much in the second one, but that's also a pretty big aspect of the first movie as well. Um, so, Well, yeah, yeah, because they thought she was a cop no, uh, the very, for, for a long that. time. Yeah. So. La Migra! La Migra! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then for she, sure. She's yeah. wearing the cop. She's wearing the police jacket, and then she's like abuela. She says police on the back. Hey, Abuela, I, I'm sorry to bother you, but I really need your help. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so uh, David and Caroline, um, they go to a restaurant to get some information. This is when we have another bathroom scene with Caroline and Candyman and her dead nude mother. Um, they keep showing her mother totally naked over and over, covered with blood, uh, and some of the reviews are it's like, yeah, no, this one tries to make up for the lack of story with, you know, over the top violence and nudity. And it's just like, really? Oh, this isn't. I didn't tell like, you guys. I didn't the, you guys the rule of bad movies. The, but the no, rule of bad movies is, do you know how you fix continuity errors with constant nudity? <laughs> continuity, but this constant nudity. This is a dead old lady covered in blood. This isn't like titillating no pun intended, nudity. This is dead old lady nudity. And then the gore, eh, I wasn't impressed with it. I thought it was whatever. So, I mean, the people saying that this movie tries to, you know, make up with nudity and violence, which are awesome things in a movie. I mean, the three B's that Joe Bob teaches us, blood, breast, and beasts, they're there, but it's not done in a way that's successful, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm out on this, but I just feel like it's trying to be an exploitation movie, but it's just so bad that it's not. What do y'all think? Spot on. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, I, I do have to hand it to them. But at least they're they're trying it some respect to this movie, and it just seems like I don't know whether it was just a. I, you can't just say budget because so many other great horror movies have probably had way smaller budgets yeah. and, and everything better, but it just, it just didn't, they just didn't execute, you know, in, in the end, they just didn't execute what they were looking to do, but they were at least trying out there. It seems in certain times within this movie. Yeah. All right. So, uh, later on, um, we're back at Caroline's apartment. Her and David are starting to get busy taking tequila shots and whatnot. Uh, then like Cody's referred to, uh, they're making out and whatnot. He kind of goes down her body off screen. Oh God. Uh, he goes down. Candyman comes up. There you go. Ooh, and, wee. um, sexy. Next thing we know is, uh, Caroline is 
sucking on her great granddaddy's finger. Oh, yep. Oh. My wife, as we were watching this, my wife remarked, she's, she's like, he's got very large fingers. No, that means. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. That, that means large the bees gloves. know where to go. The bees <laughs> sting deep. Okay, so um, that's uh, so she freaks out and wakes up, and it's like, oh, there's no one here. What's going on? Her roommate Tamara is telling her it was all a dream, and uh, Caroline's convinced that it wasn't a dream. That Candyman was there and has kidnapped David. Uh, Tamara's like, okay, you're fucking crazy. Starts calling someone, but of course, Candyman shows up, and uh, instead of going through the back this time, he throws in a curveball on us. He rips her stomach open from the front. So um, he, he varies it up a little bit. He doesn't want to be a one-trick pony. Which, uh, if, th- you, if you notice the actress's face, it's painful. She's in pain. She's in a lot of pain. I thought she did do some good facial acting here. I, you know, like it, it was, uh, like I said, people are trying. You know, like not everyone on this is, is, is trying the same, you know, like level. But at least she's given something there. Sure. <laughs> just gotta gotta give some credit at some I, point to this. just at this point in the movie and i guess we're probably about an hour in yeah i'm just i, I even <laughs> wrote down i wish this movie was over because it's you know what you're it's not like i'm gonna stick around maybe they're gonna pick it up at this point you know what you're in for and you're it's not good you know where the movie's headed too. It's it's not like it takes any drastic like turns. It's yeah, it, it, it basically just kind of stumbles its way to it's an headed end. for the exact same plot line of the first movie. Because what yeah. do we see next? Caroline's in cuffs being charged with Tamara's murder. Um, this is when the evil detective wants to know where David is. She tells him, Oh, Candyman took her, took him, and so he just winds up and pimp slaps her. Just <laughs> Yeah, he does. Epic. Um, I will say I, I thought that this was a, a one moment in this film where I thought that the, the writing was actually pretty well done because I was I, I stopped the movie after this when um, the the racist cops partner gets in the car and he kind of takes over and he's going to take her down to like the the L.A. police precinct or something like that. Yeah. Um, he he tells her that. Mm-hmm. They basically checked up her her uh, like records and found out that like she her mom had been uh, wanted by the police you know in New Orleans for all these murders and things like that. So they bring in some connection in this, which was probably the only time in this movie where someone did something logical, where the police actually did their homework and found out about this person, and based on that information, they chose to go like arrest her and all this stuff because she's doing the same kind of stuff that her mother did. And that they think that she's, you know, possibly murdering people on her own now. And I, I thought that that part was like, okay, I'll give some credit here. That was actually a decent plot point right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it ties it together. Um, and then it also sets up an awesome murder scene, which is, I think, one of the most creative in the film. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of confused. The jump scare in that one got me it, good. But uh, basically the cop is, you know, making fun of Caroline in the backseat. And then all of a sudden he starts coughing. I was expecting bees, but no, he suddenly just spews up all this blood over the windshield. And then Candyman's there, shoves the hook through his mouth, out his back through the back of the seat and uh, killing him, tossing Caroline the car key so she can escape. Uh, she discovers that the only way she can get out is over the dead man's body, but he's not quite dead. 
tries to strangle her before finally dying. He chokes the shit out of her too. Like for the few minutes that he's got left. I found that to be the most violent part of the movie because she had nothing to do with him dying. Like she was trying to warn him and he's now choking her. Like it was almost like maybe there was a little candy man still in them or something, but it was super, I found that like super deviant. I was like, damn, like, is he just pissed or is it, is, is it like some sort of shock reaction? You know, like, if you get stabbed through the insides, then you just immediately choke the next thing you see. You know, some sort of flight or flight choker, smoke coke. I, li- I like also though that this is um, this is another example of Candyman kind of messing with his his would be victim, where he basically gives her the tool to escape and to continue down this path where he's you know planning for her to ultimately like meet him in the end. Like he he is really the guy that's like the marinette like pulling the strings of all this stuff you know and it's it's kind of neat to see him you know have some form of creativity and and setting his like murders up yeah well so she escapes and um she goes to david's grandmother's place and she gets kind of the inside tip on what to do it's kind of a harry potter thing like without the good the evil can't exist and made no uh, sense yeah same fucking Star Wars. For whatever reason, she comes to the conclusion that, oh, the only thing good about this guy was his paintings. If I destroy the paintings, <laughs> we'll destroy Makes him. No whatsoever. I love it. But sure. Okay. So yep. um, then through another series of convoluted events, Caroline gets kidnapped by this like nerdy goth cult gang. And uh, they had gone to the art show earlier and there was like, whoa, this candy man's super awesome. Fuck the cure. We're into candy man now. And uh, so they want to summon him. So for some reason they kidnapped her. I don't know why. Uh, and they had also stolen all the paintings from the art gallery. So they call uh Candyman. He appears and guess what he does. He kills the fuck out of all these motherfuckers. But in why i consider unforgivable he does all the slaughter and mayhem off screen off screen body count yeah just a fucking cardinal sin in my opinion especially these people are unlikable it's a fucking horror movie this is thing when people say that it's filled with violence and nudity to cover up for the lack of story no if they were doing that they would have they had five or six bodies to mutilate and maim and it's all done off screen so fuck that theory It's a wasted opportunity and just lowered this movie even more for me. What do y'all think about off screen kills? Dude. It, like I said it bef- in before about subjectivity and filmmaking, like if it's an off screen kill that makes me think about like what just happened and we're, we're like ruminating on something. I love it. But if it's an off screen kill, it's just be cheap because they didn't have the budget or like the, the wherewithal or the thought process to say, you know, let's, let's like, let's make this a little more bigger than it is. It's it's like, it's like almost like trying to pretend like they're cerebral, but they're just really just cheap. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Well, what would you guys think? Okay. So if you don't have the budget for, to do that, like what is the best way to, you know, for in filmmaking, like what would you prefer? A lot of times you have an off screen kill. A lot of times you boost that with like, you, you add some sound design. There's, there's one moment in the, uh, right before the day, the the day of the dead, uh, sequence where you hear some ADR of like an off screen character say, 
oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, like they'll do that too. And it'll, so it adds more levity to that scene. But I mean, if you got like all these goths and you're already using like kind of like this dark lighting scheme, like, and Candyman's appearing, I feel like there's a way to do it in camera where, he, where he's killing everyone or she has to kill everyone because they're they're coming after her and she's forced to use the hook and it's like she's becoming more like Candyman or something along those lines but man it was just like i was so excited because i was like oh my god we're about to get like a full-on like dance choreography fight scene here you know but we didn't get shit we just like you know or it's like or resort to some really shitty cg where you just like melt them all down because the bees because i've read this shit about it when the mortar murder hornets and like predators come into a beehive that these specific bees like heat their fucking bodies up and melt the bad guys. I'm like, why isn't that a thing in a Candyman movie where he's like <laughs> melting little kids' faces off and shit, or or just melting those goth assholes down for doing what they did, man? I mean, like they first of all they 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 stole all this art that wasn't theirs from a gallery. Then they just stole her, and they were just like, "Yeah, we, we just thought this guy was cool." They're the fucking Applejacks kids. <laughs> Candyman doesn't even taste like candy. We just <laughs> like him, okay? <laughs> Well said. Well, they they definitely used the bees though a lot more in this movie than they did in the first two, like as like almost as as him like a warning sign that Candyman is coming. Like they have the you know the bees you know like on the window or whatever and shit like that, and then they have it like attacking that that ratchet looking Cameron Diaz looking <laughs> girl and shit like that. I thought she but, was th- but then, but then they fucking like, <laughs> she's been in a I know exactly what you're talking about. I like, yeah, she had, Rita. yeah, but they had the bees attack her, but then like they come back and it, she had been hooked by Candyman, So it's another one. They didn't actually show. Right? Yeah. Am, am I right? Yeah. Didn't, didn't yeah, they we just cut, got cut back see, like, and she's just preamble. bloody yeah, like laying like there. passes out from the bees like in the flashback, but when she yeah. twice discovered she's all bloody and hacked up. So yeah, we missed that. Yeah. But, so, uh, so at this point, you know, she's freed from um, all these gang members since Candyman's killed them. She's and ready so to kick some ass too. Yeah. Yeah. So she starts running around this warehouse and finds uh, David uh, who had been kidnapped by Candyman, suspended by hooks from the ceiling. Uh, then she proceeds to very roughly, I mean, Clive, I just think this is something that Clive Barker would love mm-hmm. since he, you know, created all this and he, Hellraiser. I mean, fuck, plenty of hooks through skin in that one. Uh, she lowers him down off the ceiling and holy God, that just looked painful if those hooks are through your skin. Um. But basically, she lowers him, and then he's forgotten about until the end of the movie. Uh, Candyman reappears, tries to convince Caroline to join him, but then uh, she realizes that he's killed her father, mother, uncle, grandmother, grandfather, and uh, she doesn't want anything to do with him, doesn't want to you know, join him in his afterlife, and so she uh, slashes up his painting, and that causes a very, very poor uh, CGI explosion. And I guess Candyman's dead for the third I will time. say that I thought that this the CGI in this scene was way better than the CGI at the end of Candyman 2. I thought it looked uh, it, way better. I mean, it's just like 
They're yeah, equally do shitty. Yeah, you want to eat this turd or that turd? There's so, they're so, they're this so bad. This one has fewer peanuts in it. <laughs> exactly. This one has more corn. Oh, God. <laughs> Get stuck between <laughs> your teeth. Uh, so, um, finally, the, you know, Candyman's dead. We have one Did final. Did build that whole, like, hill, like, out of what? Was that supposed to be just like a big beehive or something? Yeah, I loved, I love this the idea of that because it made it reminded me so much of TCM two, like the like you know, yeah, like the, their whole layer. Because I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, is this like? Are they like about to say he's got like a whole body, like room full of bodies and skulls and skeletons and shit? Like, that was wild. That was just. But when she was falling down it, I. Like the way she falls down, the screen direction is so confusing because <laughs> she's oh, because she the first scene it shows her like she's about to tumble down, like she's gonna the way like she, it looked like she first fell, like she was gonna like Dude, it looked her. like she was wearing heelys and she just like <laughs> went she went off, and then the next scene she's like turning, she's like going <laughs> diagonal down face first. I'm like, where the fuck did she, this I happen? Saw totally that too. That's so funny. The bees, the bees did it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so we have one final jump scare where uh, Caroline's looking in the mirror and a hook comes through. She wakes up. Then her and David and his daughter are having a picnic at her mother's grave uh, while Day of the Dead celebrations are going around, going on around them. Um, why her mother is married at UCLA when she's from New Orleans um, makes no sense. Yeah, it's weird. And I, I think... And and why why was she was she, was she taking a nap in the graveyard? Like what was going on? She was like laying there on the ground by herself, she and then just, gets she's up. She's a narcoleptic. She falls goes asleep over a lot. With the other Honestly, <laughs> once she's, the screen went black and the credits started rolling, all those questions I had just went out of my head and flew away. And I didn't even try to find out what direction they went. I had no, interest. I think though that like, okay, wait, one thing that they, that they did do. And I think we may have, um, overpassed it or whatever is because, um, after, you know, like she killed Candyman and everything the she had that little weird flashback to her mom saying you, you have to like kill the myth or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so mm. yeah, the racist cop, basically he's been, suspended for all of his racist ways. Um, she's killed Candyman, and he comes in saying he's going to cut her up. And uh, Ernie Hudson Jr. fires. This is something that I had to get uh, a second set of eyes on. Yep, me too. He shoots the cop in the back <laughs> of the head. And then he comes Dude. from out of sight around a concrete wall. <laughs> yes. What is that Angelina Jolie movie where they can yeah, bend yeah. the bullet? Wanted. It's called Wanted. And <laughs> yeah. he fucking bent that bullet, bro. I'm telling you, Ernie Hudson Jr. is the unsung hero of this movie. This man has lived in his father's shadow and his, <laughs> his father's velvety voice and uh, like twinky Ghostbuster shadow for his entire life. The guy is named after his dad. How is he going to come out of How is he going to come out from under that shadow? Only way to do that is punching racism in the face during this movie as the climax comes to an end and he literally just skull fucks the bad guy like with a with a bullet <laughs> so Ernie Hudson uh, Jr., man. Puts respect team, on his i'm glad we all caught that though guys that's awesome yeah so the de- the cop is dying on the ground last word he says is candy man caroline has a flashback to her mother saying the only way you can really kill him is to kill the myth so basically she says nope this guy is the guy that was going around as candy man killing people there's no such thing as 
a secret ghosty candy man. It's this guy. He's a real life serial killer and therefore supposedly killing the belief in the myth of candy man and finally killing candy man for second time in this movie, I guess fourth time overall, but there's a new sequel coming out. So she also ruined the lives of that cop's family as well. Well, I love the fact that she was happy about that. She was like, yeah, Oh, you, Okay, well, I'm going to turn it around on you. Like she was actually, she was proud of herself. You can see it on her face. Yeah, but that like, as as cheesy as that ending was, I I do think it kind of made sense with the lore because if you remember back in the first Candyman, that was one of the reasons why he was going after. Uh, I forget her her name. It wasn't Annie. That was Helen. two. Helen? Helen oh, Helen. Helen. Yeah, that's Lyle. why he was going after Helen is because he's like, you're causing my flock to, to not believe in me. And throughout the whole series, he that's one thing he keeps saying is like, believe in me, believe in me. Because without people believing in yeah. him, he has no power. And then he basically dies. So the idea of her trying to uh, destroy the myth and, you know, kind of bring it to be that, it you know, it wasn't Candyman. It was this you know, racist white cop all along that kind of makes sense in trying to kill off Candyman once and for all versus, you know, trying to, you know, burn him up or break, you know, his glass body, like the, the first, you know, few films. So I don't know. That's what I thought of it. Yeah. I mean, it, you're right. It is a, uh, as far as like myths go, it, it kind of makes sense. And, you know, there's people that, get into like real life, uh, like magic and whatnot. And there is something to be said for just an idea. The more people believe in it, the more real it is, uh, in that, you know, sort of way. But yeah, I, I, I kind of dug it, but, uh, I'm not going to praise this movie. <laughs> I, it almost sounded like you, you were. I'm gonna praise. Gotcha. I'm gonna praise Ernie Hudson Jr. only for being the hero, the unsung hero of just of this whole of this whole universe. Honestly. Um, okay, before we get into our final ratings, why don't we quickly just go around and uh, talk our favorite kills? All right. Um, my uh, my favorite one is the uh, the cop with the mustache in the car in the. <laughs> I guess the hook through. I guess the hook comes through the front instead. I guess you know, and he kind of creeps up over the seat or whatever. The hook goes through. His yeah, it doesn't make any sense on how that, that was happening. Yeah. No. no. Well, but but I mean, every like we were saying earlier, every single one of Candyman's yes. kills yep. are the same. He just he just it, it's the hook through the torso, and then sometimes he'll lift you up, you know, and or rip through your torso. But I just thought the one in the the car was pretty cool, and then the stupid ass like scare where like he you know like grabs her by the throat i guess for some reason after Candyman killed him but i don't know i thought that one was oh i mean not great but it, i thought it was uh one that i uh thought was pretty cool i love it car seat. my my favorite kill is a flashback uh hallucination dream sequence kill where uh candy kills her, the grandmother again she's tits out she's got black eyes he slits her throat she's pouring blood she's laughing shit is fucking intense it's not a great kill in terms of like uh when you you see a character you want to see die you know like it's not a great kill in terms of really anything other than that's like sort of cerebral like aspect of like this shit is deep like he's just like this is a flashback right on uh uh Corey, what was yours 
Okay, this might be a little meta, but uh, my favorite kill is when the end credits roll and kill this fucking movie. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Oh, my God. Um, I'll say mine was... Uh, you know what? I'll, mine was Miguel, because he was just an asshole, like, from the very get-go. Like, I... Did not like his character. He had no redeeming qualities at all. Um, outside of the cop, I, he was my like one of the, the characters I just hated the most. So I was happy to see him get killed off, uh, you know, fairly early in this movie. So fuck him. Shout out to Ernie Hudson Jr. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's do final ratings now. Um, Cody, I'll I'll give it up to you first. Uh, what was your what's your final rating? So, what's our rating skill here? Should it be like honeycombs or like the you know oh bloody uh, hooks? Uh, so okay, no wait, I got it, I got it, I got it. I give this two carbide. Ernie, damn, I give this two diamond hardened carbide Donna Dierico nipples. <laughs> okay, two out of two. That's why I give this movie. <laughs> Cutting glass. I think that's a hundred percent there on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Robert, what about you? Um, I'm giving this one bloody hook, nipple, <laughs> bloody whatever <laughs> it is. That we're gonna, yeah, bloody nipple. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead. And, like, yeah, I'm giving this one one, and I'm gonna go ahead and say the second one. I'll give it two and a half. And I'm going to rate the first one, too. And the first one to me is fucking awesome. I'm giving the first nice. one five bloody hooks. Fuck yeah. I fucking love yep, that movie. Yep, yep. Corey? Um, I'm not sure what this looks like, but uh, I'm giving this half a bloody nipple. Oh, God. I, I hated this more than I hated um, uh, Halloween Resurrection. Wow. Um, Damn. That's, that's hated, not possible. This, I, I, I hate it so much, I... Don't even have the energy to get angry about it. I just want this oh to God. not be in my life anymore and just forget that I did this and fucking. You hate it like an ex wife. Who? Like an ex wife. Well, let's watch this. Let's watch this movie. Uh, the thought of this movie out of our mind. With what are we watching next, guys? Well, wait, wait. Chris still needs to give us his rating. Yeah. Oh, I'm, um, I'm sorry. Oh I'm no, so it's all good. It's all good. I you you fucking know what, asshole. Man. You asshole. I, I'm going to give it uh, two and a half uh, wow. bloody nipples because, Holy you know, what? like I, as much as as much as like I don't think it's drastically worse than than Candyman 2. Did we watch I, the same movie? No, no, no. I think it's I, yeah, I no don't shit. think it's a, a, a good film. I but I, I don't think it's that much worse than the second film. And I think. It actually did some stuff better than the second one. I like the I, ending, I the way they killed him off uh, better in three. I think the CGI is better in three. Um, I thought two just really kind of crapped out like right at the end. Um, and so in terms of, you know, like looking at all of these movies, um, definitely the first one. I agree with Robert's take. I think it's amazing. So five is is, is great there. Um, I think for two, I would give it a, a three just an average, you know, kind of, you know, right there down the middle. And then with the third one, I think it's, you know, just barely worse than that. So that's why I gave it a two and a half. All right. All right. I'll have the right Fair to enough. be wrong. <laughs> yeah. My opinion is wrong, obviously. 
Well, all right. Um, that's going to end it on this one. Uh, like Cody, you were setting it up there. Um, oh, my bad. No, yeah. What? What? Um, what are we going to be doing next? Wait, what are we watching next? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do some hammer stuff. I think it's it's hammer time. Oh, we're going yes. over to jolly old England. Touch this, please. Don't hurt him, hammer. Please. <laughs> yeah. don't hurt him. Pumps and a motherfucking bump. Tell me, have you seen her? Uh, I can't. Hold on. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh man. Um, so we were we were discussing that um, for for certain movies and and, and directors, um, we feel like it's 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 just not fair just to do one episode um, on them. And so from time to time. We're going to do a two-part episode that's going to delve deeper um, into a particular actor, director, creator. Um, and so we want to take a look at uh, their Hammer films. And so um, the one of the movies we're going to be watching is, uh, was it Taste the Blood of Dracula? That's Hell right. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of my okay. earliest uh, Hammer films that I've ever watched that it was kind of one of the early ones that got me into hammer i I have a lot of fond memories of this film i'm really excited about it um but i'm i'm just excited to learn more about hammer and kind of broaden uh you know just my you know knowledge of 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 the hammer series i feel like i feel like i feel like Corey's about to solidify himself as a a true like embryo of horror phenomena (laughs) oh we're going you know like deep into this embryonic you know like that's i feel like he'll he's gonna shine we're gonna be eyebrows deep in some hammer we're gonna explore (laughs) all of it um it's gonna be a lot of fun uh we're gonna focus on taste the blow dracula but like we said we don't think we can properly do uh this movie justice without really uh doing a dive into hammer the studio itself and uh some of the fucking awesome shit they put out in the 60s and 70s especially and also you got to mention um christopher lee and peter cushing because without yeah. those guys what oh, would we, we even have had we definitely need a segue about christopher lee's metal career because the shit is epic by the way these <laughs> <laughs> things in a death metal band y'all that's yeah insane. also at this point uh these episodes are streaming so uh if you haven't go back and listen to the old ones uh they're on every streaming location, however the kids say it these days. <laughs> we're even on uh, Spotify, uh, Pandora, and Stitcher. So we're on the we're on the internet. So you find us. You just double click www.com. Yeah. It's real easy, man. Yeah, and go over to uh, bloodsuckinggeeks.com. We have a bunch of content over there. And uh, I think tonight, I think unless the voting is drastically changed, Rawhead Rex was the winner for uh, what movie I'm going to watch tonight. Yeah. So. Hopefully this will. Oh, I'm finding it. it. Uh, one of these fucking days. It's going to be uh, a nice way to cleanse the palate after Candyman Day of the Dead. Yeah. Also, check us out at uh, on our Facebook group. I know a lot of you people. Uh, we've got what, what over two hundred people? people on there now, and we had. <laughs> you know Whores, what I mean? Horror people. Horror. Uh, horror. All them horror freaks. But yeah, check out the Facebook group where we post stuff daily and talk about all kinds of shit. And we have an Instagram page and a Twitter as well. Uh, and yeah, the like Corey said, he's doing or looks like he's going to be watching Rawhead Rex. So you'll have a review up yep, on that yep. early I'll next week, I assume. Tomorrow. 
at us at us with your questions in, or or about anything. They don't even have to be about horror movies. We got crazy ass stories. Just yeah, that. that's one thing I think we got to start doing more of is just telling oh, crazy stories. No, we have a, we have a mailbag. We have a mailbag question from Corey Clendenning. He asked if any one of us had ever uh, possibly gotten. Uh, sexually mischievous and or lucky in a, during a horror film at a movie theater. Uh, I can answer this one. Corey? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on your definition. Um, in the moment, it was pretty horrific. Um, when you're doing this business and uh, you look over and Tiger King is playing and that shirtless man with no teeth and bad <laughs> tattoos is watching you move your body in ways the good Lord intended. It really Undulating. Yeah. So I, I know Tiger King's probably not a horror movie or a documentary. It's true crime, but in the moment it was pretty fucking horrific. Damn. That's great. Well, you guys all know that. I mean, I've clearly, I didn't walk out of Halloween resurrection with balls that were blue, but, uh, <laughs> but the one, the scariest time ever for me ever in the history was Django, I took a black girl to see Django Unchained on our first date. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was, she was awesome. That's a Hail Mary right there. But that was, yes, I was like, I was sitting there, I was glued to my seat, just, and she was like trying to make some kind of move. And I was so physically uncomfortable because I was like, that's what he's saying too much. (laughs) I didn't get your take on this before that. (laughs) And yeah, so I could not perform like that's for sure. Oh, God. I think that's enough. He ain't heard yeah, shit yet. Don't know nothing. Um, all right, that's going to do it uh, for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back again very, very soon. Getting into the Hammer Classics. I'm very excited for that. Oh yeah. But we will see you next time. All right. Geeks. Later. The screen's most brutal killer is back for blood. They say he came back from the dead. His hand replaced by a bloody hook. And revenge never tasted so sweet. Believe. They say he called his name five times into a mirror and he appears. Candyman. And when he comes, he'll be the last thing you ever see. Candyman. Hate generates hate. Candyman. Evil breeds evil. Candyman. Be my victim. Candyman. Artisan Entertainment presents Tony Todd. Feel my pain. And Donna D'Erico. It was the Candyman. He's real. Candyman, Day of the Dead. Help me. Help me. From Artisan Entertainment.